A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, my friends. Today is a very special day. Because today is True Crime Britain's 50th episode. I never imagined I would be here today, considering I only ever intended to do a one-off limited series when I began. And that is all thanks to you, my wonderful listeners and supporters. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart, because every time you listen, subscribe on your listening platform so you never miss an episode. Mention us on social media, recommend True Crime Britain to friends and family, or leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you listen to the show. It's a fantastic way to help the show continue to grow, and it helps me to find ways to continue to improve the content and quality of every episode. As you have probably already noticed, your episodes have become longer and more in-depth over recent months, and that's what I aspire to continue delivering as the norm going forward. As an independent podcaster, it's the actions I've just mentioned, and my Patreon supporters, who I want to give a huge shout-out to for helping me achieve this. Though it's just a few of you, the support I've received on Patreon goes a long way to help me manage the website the hosting costs, and all other expenses related to running the show. So, Teresa Maguire, Connie Joy Wick, Dark Horse, John Lloyd, Claude, Slim Shady 77, Olivia and Kate, please accept my sincere appreciation for your generous ongoing support. It truly means the world. My Patreon page is actually under construction for the next week or two while I update it, but it's a great way to listen ad-free and hear exclusive bonus episodes, with tiers starting from just £1 to help support the show financially, 
or up to just £2.50 for the full perk package, in which you'll see increased content in the coming fortnight. I also wanted to take this opportunity to tell you what I've been up to behind the scenes recently, as well as producing True Crime Britain. At some listeners' request, I've finally began the process of working on a new production which includes some of the most harrowing crimes committed worldwide. I'll be able to share more with you about this as I come closer to completion, which I'm hoping will be by the start of winter. I've also been working on a project that is very personal to me, with a completely different niche altogether, which I'm also very excited about, and it may interest some listeners. I've got a long way to go with that yet, but I'll keep you updated. If you want to discuss a featured episode, see photos, take part in polls, or suggest a future episode, our Facebook group is the place to be for all that. I am currently running cash giveaway competitions right throughout the month of May, so come join me at True Crime Britain Podcast official group. Now, as I mentioned in my earlier message, I have encountered issues with my editing platform recently. It's been resolved now, thankfully, but unfortunately I didn't get the time to complete the editing process for today's intended 50th episode which means today's episode is a shorter one. However, it's an important one all the same. And with that, I'll get cracking with the show. This episode may contain content not suitable for some audiences, including crimes against children, mentions of suicide, descriptions of a graphic nature, and adult language at times. Listener discretion is advised. In broad daylight, on a warm summer afternoon in 2016, British politician and MP for Batley and Spen, Joe Cox, was murdered in cold blood. Horrified witnesses at the scene scrambled at the sound of gunshots and the sight of an unknown attacker with a sawn-off rifle and knife in hand. Joe Cox's death stunned the nation and sent shockwaves through Britain's political circle. As investigators began to gather evidence that would explain the horrific murder of a beloved politician, wife, and mother of two, the nation was left with a pressing question. What could have possibly led a man with seemingly no history of violence to brutally murder a female MP he had never met? The answers to that question were more troubling than anyone could have ever imagined. Joe Cox was born Helen Joanne Leadbeater on the 22nd of June 1974 in Batley, West Yorkshire, England. Her mother, Jean, was a school secretary and her father, Gordon Leadbeater, worked in a toothpaste and hairspray factory. Joe was raised in Heckmondwike and attended a state grammar school 
where she exhibited early leadership skills by becoming a head girl. Jo was the first member of her family to go to university, attending Pembroke College, Cambridge, where she initially studied archaeology and anthropology before transferring to social and political science. At university, Jo struggled to fit in at first, as many of her peers came from wealthy or privileged backgrounds. While other undergraduates took holidays during their gap years, Jo would spend her summers packing toothpaste in the factory where her father worked. Though her time in Cambridge had knocked her confidence and set her back in many ways, she was able to overcome those difficulties and through sheer perseverance and ambition was able to find both academic success and long-lasting friendships there. The inspiration for Jo's future as an MP came after she visited Parliament at the age of 15 and after graduating from Pembroke College in 1995, she worked as a parliamentary advisor to Labour MP Joan Wally until 1997. Jo would eventually become the head of key campaigns at Britain in Europe before working as a political advisor to Glenys Kinnock, the wife of Labour leader Neil Kinnock, who at the time was a member of the European Parliament. Jo spent a decade working with aid groups. This work would make a significant impact on her life and her career in politics would make a dramatic shift as a result. As an aid worker, she would meet with rape victims in Darfur in Sudan and talk to child soldiers about their traumatic experiences of being forced to kill their own family members. Through her charity work and interactions with those less fortunate, Jo's beliefs and political views were influenced and she became passionate about social issues and humanitarian crisis. Jo met Brendan Cox in 2005 while working for the same charitable organisation. They quickly bonded over their shared love of adventure and in 2009, less than five years after they met, they married in the small village of Noydart in western Scotland. The couple would go on to have two children together. Between her duties as a mother and wife and her busy work schedule, Jo had her hands full. But motherhood only ignited her passion to help others. By 2015, Jo had fought for the rights of women and children with vigour, and earlier that same year, she took the opportunity to make her lifelong dreams of becoming an MP a reality. After a brutal campaign, she won the vote, increasing the Labour majority. Her life had come full circle. She had two beautiful children, a supportive husband, and the career that she had dreamed of since she was a little girl. Joe's husband, Brendan, would later recall an afternoon when he and Joe were sitting on a bench overlooking the garden at their Welsh cottage. 
Their children, then aged five and three, were a few yards away playing, when Joe turned to her husband and said, You know, we'll look back on these days as the happiest days of our lives. But just four days later, Joe Cox was dead, brutally murdered by a man she had never met. On the 16th of June 2016, the West Yorkshire village of Burstall was bustling with people. That afternoon, there was a football match between England and Wales, which drew even more people into the local pubs. That same day, Jo Cox was on her way to meet her constituents at a routine political surgery in Burstall. Unbeknownst to her, a man by the name of Thomas Mayer was lying in wait, a bag in hand and a baseball cap pulled low over his face. When Joe arrived at the Burstall Library, Thomas Mayer unleashed an onslaught of violence. Joe was shot three times with a twenty-two rifle, once in the chest and twice in the head, then stabbed a further fifteen times, including to the heart and lungs. People scattered down Burstall Marketplace at the terrifying sounds of gunshots, screaming and desperately searching for cover. Joe Cox's manager, Fazila Aswat, tried to fend off the attacker by hitting him with her handbag, but eventually backed away in fear for her own life. Thomas May repeatedly shouted, Britain first! as he committed his heinous crime. A 77-year-old retired mines rescuer named Bernard Carter Kenny was also stabbed after coming to Joe's aid, but thankfully he survived the attack. Joe Cox wouldn't be so lucky. At just 41 years old, Joe succumbed to her injuries shortly after being admitted to hospital. Thomas May was tackled and restrained a mile from the murder scene by unarmed police officers after he discarded his baseball cap and jacket. As Joe's loved ones come to the devastating realisation that she had been murdered, police officers and investigators worked hard to piece together what had happened and, more importantly, why Those answers would only be found inside the life of her murderer, Thomas May. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. <laughs> After the murder, Thomas May's cap and jacket were found in an overgrown garden. Forensic evidence would quickly reveal that his clothing items had gunshot particles consistent with the gun used in the attack. Joe Cox's DNA was also found. There was no question about who committed the murder, but as investigators took a closer look into May's private life, the reason why became disturbingly clear when a trail of deep-seated hatred began to emerge. Thomas May was a 53-year-old unemployed gardener at the time of the murder. He was born in Scotland, but had lived in Burstall in West Yorkshire for most of his life. He lived an unremarkable life, and neighbours that knew him said he would occasionally mow their gardens, but that he never had any visitors, barely talked, and usually avoided eye contact. His home reflected him in many ways, unassuming. The quaint house where he lived his life was neat and sparsely furnished, with tidy cupboards and single beds in the bedrooms. But the more police combed through, the more signs they saw of his far-right ideologies. Detectives found a third eagle ornament with a swastika on a bookcase in one of the bedrooms. On the organised bookshelves sat dozens of books about the German military, Nazi race theory and white supremacism. The Southern Poverty Law Centre obtained records proving Thomas May had links to the neo-Nazi organisation National Alliance dating back to 1999, 17 years before he murdered Joe Cox. 
When police went through his search history and internet usage, they found more evidence of his obsession with the far right. In the days and months leading up to the murder, he was reading articles about Nazi figures, the Ku Klux Klan and Dylan Roof, the white supremacist and convicted mass murderer who killed nine people, all African-Americans, during a Bible study at their church in the United States. May's act of violence drew inspiration from another right-wing terrorist named David Copeland. In 1999, Copeland planted three bombs in London, targeting black people, Asians, and gay members of the community. Three people died, and over 140 people were injured in the attack. It was evident that May was a domestic terrorist in the making, but his greatest grievance was with white people whom he believed were collaborators to the supposed existential threat against the white race, the liberals, the left, the mainstream media, and ultimately, Joe Cox. Joe didn't share May's views, and it's speculated that Joe was specifically targeted because she was a passionate defender of the European Union and immigration. May saw her as a traitor. But perhaps the root of May's hatred could be traced back to early childhood. As a child, Thomas May was abandoned by his mother after she married a Caribbean immigrant. The couple lived in Batley, while May was raised by his grandparents in Burstall, only a few miles away. One of May's internet searches was on matricide, the killing of one's own mother. During the trial, an otherwise cold and stoic May reacted to the mention of mothers and motherhood. It would seem that while May's political and racist ideals were the driving force behind his act of violence, Joe Cox, mother of two, was the target of his displaced rage and resentment towards his own mother. In the aftermath of the murder, neighbours of May suggested that mental illness was to blame. May's family confirmed that he had been treated for obsessive-compulsive disorder with a focus on cleanliness. Evidence of his OCD tendencies were found when police searched the home. After he was arrested, May was examined by a psychiatrist who found no evidence that his mental health was so severe that he was not responsible for his actions. He was declared a sane man and fit for trial. On the 18th of June 2016, when asked to confirm his name in court, May said, My name is death to traitors, freedom for Britain, only reaffirming what investigators and the public already knew. Thomas May was a white supremacist, and now he was a murderer too. 
the jury would take just 90 minutes to convict Thomas May of Joe Cox's murder. And that same day, on the 23rd of November 2016, he was sentenced to life imprisonment. Due to his conviction and the nature of his crime, May was considered a terrorist by the United Kingdom. During her short time in Parliament, Jo Cox made a significant impact campaigning for international issues, education and children in need. She strived for tolerance and diversity values that would ultimately cost her her life. After the guilty verdict, Jo's family made sure to carry those values onward and celebrate her life. Her murder was an act of terrorism driven by the kind of hatred that divides people. But her tragic death instead pulled the nation together. Jo's energy for life was immeasurable and while she had passions and ambition for her career, her first priority was always as a mother to her two children. And it was that love that propelled her towards making the world a better place for them. The reaction to her death across Britain and around the world only solidified that the values she lived by are widely shared. It's almost seven years since her death, but Joe's influence has remained. A foundation set up in her honour has helped over 35,000 women in the years following her death. Annual Great Get-Togethers held by the Foundation has brought together 18 million people, all from different backgrounds, coming together to make connections within their communities. It's a testament to her life's work and the way she was able to touch people with her kindness, humour and humanity. Her senseless murder devastated her family leaving a void in their lives that can never be filled, but it only helped to prove what she spent her entire life fighting for, that there is no place for hatred, and that a world that is tolerant and inclusive is not just possible, but achievable. Though the extent of Thomas May's evil may never be fully understood, the people of Britain can rest a little easier, knowing that he will never have the opportunity to harm another person again. If you are affected by any of the content featured in today's episode, please see the show notes or visit www.truecrimebritain.com where you can find links to further support.